Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. As we turn to Ephesians this morning, we're turning toward the middle of chapter 5, and what we've just sung is a great prelude as we think of the power of the cross. Paul's going to talk today about the change that God has worked in our lives, and it all comes about because of Christ, His death in our place, His resurrection to give us life. Well, we're turning to verses 7 through 17 of Ephesians 5 this morning, and just to remind you of the context where we are. Over the past few weeks, we've seen Paul's call to walk in love as Christ has loved us and to put off sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. And in verses 5 through 6, Paul gave a strong warning as a reason why we ought to put off these sins. And the warning was that because of these sins, the wrath of God is coming upon those who disobey him. And so knowing the judgment to come, Paul concluded that we ought to not be partners in these sins. But today Paul's going to give a second reason for why we ought not walk in these sins. Not only should we flee sin because of the judgment that is to come, we also ought to flee because all who have been saved by Christ ought to walk worthy of their calling in Him. And that is really the argument Paul's been making for two chapters throughout chapter 4 and chapter 5. But this morning, Paul's going to give us two more specific qualities that should describe the walk of those who have put their faith in Christ. And so if you would follow along with me, we will read together Ephesians 5, verses 7 through 17. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. Your word is not uh, a random ancient document that has been found, something that was a relic of the past. Your word is your words written to us, and your spirit continues to speak in them and through them to us. So, Father, we pray that you would work in us through your word this morning, for Christ's sake. Amen. I think if you were going to try to summarize maybe the 
key guiding advice that you might receive now in the 21st century for health and happiness in life. Certainly at the top of the list would be the advice, be true to yourself. Be true to yourself is the title of multiple books. It's the advice of millions of blogs internet-wide. And the advice can be boiled down, I think, to this. Know who you are and then live an authentic life that expresses your identity and your beliefs. One website offers these tips on how to be true to yourself. Be your genuine self. Follow your value system. Stand up for what you believe in and know that you enrich others by being who you are. Now, as you listen to this advice and these phrases, I think what you might discover is that really there is just one fatal flaw with this advice. The fatal flaw, of course, is that it assumes that we can choose our own identity and value system based on our feelings or desires, and that then it is healthiest to live by whatever identity we choose or think best reflects who I believe that I am. But if we were to correct that one fatal flaw, if we were to correct that fatal flaw and recognize that our identity and our value system are given to us by God and are shaped and defined by his word, then the advice of be true to yourself is actually pretty good advice. Go back to what they said, stand up for what you believe in, follow your value system. In fact, I think it's a fairly accurate summary of Paul's argument here in chapter 5 of Ephesians. If we are united to the Lord, that changes who we are. And now we ought to walk in a way that is true to who we are in Christ. Kevin DeYoung, pastor in the PCA, put it this way. He said, God never asks us to attain something we're not. The pursuit of holiness is the fight to live out the life that has already been made alive in Christ. And so the call of Scripture is to walk according to who you are in your Savior, Jesus Christ. And in our passage this morning, Paul focuses on two areas, telling us that being true to our identity in Christ will mean walking as light and walking as wise. And I want to look at each of those in turn. So we begin with verses 8 through 14, where Paul calls us to live as children of light. You see Paul's argument. He urges the Ephesians to put off sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. He says, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore walk as children of light. Now, If I could draw your attention to the words that Paul chooses here, they are important. We should notice the the words Paul does use and the words he doesn't use. Notice that Paul does not say, you used to walk in darkness, but now you are in light. That would be true. There's nothing wrong biblically with that, but it's not what Paul says. Paul says, you were darkness, but now you are light. In other words, if you have put your faith in Christ as your Savior, you don't just follow a new value system. You're not just enlightened or see new truth. That's true. You do see new truth. But something has actually changed in you and about you. Sinclair Ferguson, another pastor, puts it this way. He says, once you were in darkness, that's true. But far worse, the darkness was in us. We were darkness. 
But now we have been drawn into the light. We have not just been drawn into the light, we have been invaded and transformed by Christ the light so that in the Lord we are light. Something has changed inside of us. As you think about this, I wonder if you think about the way Jesus talks to his disciples. It's a profound a profound way that he talks to his disciples. He begins, maybe you think of John chapter 8, where Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light who has arrived in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Maybe, maybe you remember Isaiah in chapter 9, where he prophesies that those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Or in Isaiah 49, where God promises to send the Messiah as a light for the nations. So Jesus, when he declares, I am the light of the world, is declaring himself the fulfillment of these prophecies, the light and darkness. But then notice what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus turns to his disciples and what does he say there? He says, you are the light of the world. Well, that's a stunning statement. But what Jesus is saying is that when a sinner realizes his need of a redeemer to rescue him from his sin and comes to Jesus in faith, he is united to Christ so that he is changed and he's recreated in the image of the light of the world. So that Paul can say, once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It's just what Jesus said. He said, you are the light of the world. Therefore, shine as lights among men. We are like those who, who we don't just uh, come to the fire and step into the circle of light around the fire. We are drawn to the fire such that our torches are then lit by the fire, so we in turn become light in the darkness, pointing those around us to our Savior. And Paul's conclusion in verse 8 follows on that. He says, if the light of the world has made us light, then we must walk as children of the light. Walk as the light that Christ has made you. Well, how do we do that? How do we walk as children of the light? Well, in verse 9, Paul argues that the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And Paul uses the word fruit here, and maybe it reminds us of a more famous passage in Galatians 5 that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul's relying on the same analogy here. Just as water and the light of the sun naturally produce fruit on an apple tree or a raspberry bush, so if we are united to the light of the world, this ought to produce the fruit of light in our lives. Fruit that is good and right and true. Paul's point here is that our lives, if we are united to Christ, the light of the world, ought to be marked by the graciousness, the righteousness, the truth and love that marked the life of Jesus because we are united to Him and His presence now shapes us and influences us by the power of His Spirit. And Paul says in verse 10 that children of the light will discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, if you're, if you're reading in the ESV, the ESV says we should try to discern what is pleasing in the Lord, which might indicate that it's an attempt we should try to make, but we may or may not be able to do it. And that's not actually what the text says. 
The text just says, walk as children of the light, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, how do we discern that? What does it mean to discern something? To discern something is to evaluate something based on a set of standards. The word actually originated with gem dealers who, knowing the criteria of gems, would look at a stone and discern it. They would look for imperfections or impurities. They would examine it to see if it was genuine or a fake. And the word's a perfect word for Paul to choose. Because as it turns out, we have a standard which tells us what the will of the Lord is. We have God's word. And in scripture, we have God's laws that tell us what he loves and what he hates. We have a record of God's actions towards his people that bless what is good and right and true and punish what is sinful, wicked, and false. We have a testimony to the life of Christ who perfectly embodied what is pleasing to the Lord. And the assumption that Paul makes is that though we have been united to Christ, we will not just automatically do what is right, but as children of the light, who have a desire to please the Lord and who have the standard of what tells us what it means to please the Lord, we should now discern. We should put the effort into holding every action and thought of our lives up to that standard to discern what we are thinking and what we are doing and how we are living to see does this match the standard God has given us. And so we should discern what is pleasing to the Lord and live it out as children of the light. And so the calling for each of us in Christ is to discern the Lord's will so that our lives will be marked by what is good and right and true, so that the light of the world shines in us, offering blessing and hope to those around us who see the light of the world and His people. This is the change that has taken place in us because of Christ's work, and this is Paul's call to live this way. But if we walk as children of the light, Paul says two things will happen. See the first in verse 11. Paul argues that rather than taking part in works of darkness, if we walk as children of the light, we will expose the works of darkness. Now, the point is not that Christians should go around calling out to everybody all their sins and the things that they're doing that are wicked. Rather, what Paul's saying is that if if we live lives that are light, light naturally reveals or exposes darkness. If you ever walked into my office when I was the youth pastor here, you know that I had two nifty purple couches in my office. Now, the fact is that our administrator Michael Plouts and I found them on Craigslist and went to pick them up, and when we went to pick them up, there were no lights on in the house, and we thought they were black. And then we picked them up, having handed over the cash to the seller and walked out into the sunlight and we looked at each other and said, they're purple. (laughs) But there they sat in my office uh, and served their purpose well. Light exposes things for what they actually are. And Paul's point here is that when Christ's people live lives that are light in the fruit of what is good and right and true, pleasing the Lord. The contrast of walking as light will expose or show the works of darkness for what they are 
by comparison. Of course, as God's people, we need the warning not to take part in unfruitful works of darkness because it's so easy for us to cease to shine, to get pulled back into the works of darkness. When others attack us, it is easy to get angry in return. When others hurt us, it's easy to hold on to bitterness in our hearts. It's so easy to be attracted by the crowd that's seemingly having a great time in the darkness and want to join in. But to do so is not only to sin against the Lord. It is also to fail to walk as children of the light that the Lord has made us to be. And it is to fail to demonstrate the darkness. It is to fail to highlight the sin of all that is in rebellion against God. Christ's purpose is that we would walk as the light And so the contrast between us would be a witness and a testimony to the world's need for a Savior as the darkness is exposed by the light of God's people. Of course, being exposed is not pleasant. And so it's not surprising that sometimes those who come in contact with the light of truth will respond in anger or self-defense or attack. This is what happened to Jesus, of course, and he promises that as his people follow in his footsteps, they too may be attacked. But Paul also adds in verses 13 and 14 that at other times, when the light exposes darkness, some will be lit by the light so that they become light as well. This is Paul's point there in verses 13 and 14. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. When it becomes visible, it is light. Sort of a condensed argument. But you see Paul's point. The attraction of the light and the exposure of sin leads others to ask the reason for the hope that we have. And some will see their need for a Savior and come to Him and put their trust in Him to the glory of God. And this is really what happened in the first decades of Christianity after Christ's resurrection. As the lives of people were transformed and full of the fruit of love and graciousness and truth, so that the darkness around them was exposed and many were drawn to the light. And this is our prayer, that we would walk as light in fellowship with Jesus, so that others may see the power of the gospel at work in us, and turn to the Savior, who is the hope of every man and woman and child, that they might repent and look to Him for salvation. And that's Paul's conclusion. That's Paul's hope. That's why thinking of the impact of living as light leads Paul to conclude with those last phrases of verse 14. It's almost certainly the words of an early Christian hymn. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And if you you do not yet know Christ, this is God's summons to you. Awake! Awake! O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you that you may be light in Him. And if you already know Christ, this is our hope. This is our joy. Christ has shone on us and made us His. Christ has raised us from the dead and transformed us to be light in Him. Now may we be true to who we are in Christ and walk as the light He has made us to be. Well, having quoted this hymn, Paul then 
proceeds in verses 15 and 17, 15 to 17, to his second point, that we should walk not only as light, but we should also walk as wise. And once again, Paul's argument rests on our union with Christ. Just as we become light by being united to the light of the world, so we can become wise by being united to the one whom Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 1.24, the wisdom of God. Or maybe you remember Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, where Paul declares that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so it is coming to him and being united to him that will enable us to walk as wise. But maybe we can be a bit more specific. What does it mean to walk as wise? What is wisdom? My guess is if I were to poll us as a, as a congregation, we would hear responses that probably sounded something like, wisdom is knowledge applied. Or wisdom is knowing the right thing to do, that's knowledge, and doing it. That's the wisdom part. And that's a, a fair definition to apply what we know to live out uh, and enact wisdom in our lives. But I think we can sharpen that definition biblically. If we think back over all that the Old Testament tells us about wisdom. And I would define wisdom this way. Wisdom is living life the way God intends it to be lived. The breadth of that application and all that God has made us to be in every area with all the gifts and abilities, with all the, the decisions we can make to live life the way God intends it to be lived is wisdom. One Old Testament scholar looking and surveying the breadth of, of Old Testament wisdom literature offered this summary. Wisdom is the readiness to see and enter all of life as an area where God's will is decisive. Enter every area of life, any part of life, and see God's will as decisive in that area is wisdom. All right, well, that's a, that's a good big picture definition, but how do we do that? Well, Proverbs gives us a great roadmap to show us what it looks like to walk in wisdom. We're told, of course, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the recognition of God's sovereign authority, His power, His justice, and His holiness over us at all times grounds our ability to walk in wisdom. Our attempt, our effort to walk in wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. But from there, Proverbs reminds us in chapter 2 that the Lord is the one who gives wisdom. And so we will walk in wisdom when our ears are attentive to Him. Proverbs 3 reminds us that wisdom comes from trusting in the Lord with all our heart and not relying on our own understanding. Proverbs 4 reminds us that wisdom comes with self-control as we guard our heart and our steps, not turning to the right or to the left. Proverbs reminds us at least four different times that wisdom comes with godly counsel. So what do we do? How do we put this together? Well, I think we have this beautiful picture. If we want to ask now, after the cross, how do we live life as God intends it to be lived? Well, the first step is to come to Christ as the Savior whom God has sent. And so as we come and put our faith in Christ, as we're united to the one who is wisdom, God restores our desire and ability to live life as He intends it. 
And now we carefully and prayerfully listen to the Lord in His Word, trust the Lord and not our own understanding, guard our heart and our steps, and seek godly counsel so that we might walk as wise and not as unwise. And so this is Paul's call to us. As we are united to the one who is wisdom, now look carefully how we walk and live in wisdom. But then in verse 16, Paul gives us one clear example. He gives us one particular application of what it means to walk as wise. He says we are to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now at first glance, this sounds a lot like the advice you could get from any one of the 73 million search results that Google turned up when I typed in how to use my time wisely. And you'll get a lot of advice. Time management. Don't check your email in the morning. Use your hours productively. Don't regret how you live today. And there's much wisdom to that that I think is is in line with living our lives well. But that's not exactly what Paul's talking about here. See, the Greeks had a number of different words for time. And Paul does not use the word for the passing minutes and hours of your day. So he's not talking about taking the best advantage of each minute and hour to be most productive. The word he used is the word that refers to a significant moment or season in time. It's the word Jesus uses when he says to his disciples at the end of the Gospels, my time is near. The season, the time, the opportunity, the moment is near. And that's what Paul's encouraging us to make the best use of. Maybe, maybe an analogy would help here. I'm going to use an analogy of horse racing, and I will say right up front that I know almost nothing about horse racing. Sometimes, if I'm thinking about it, watch the two minutes of the Kentucky Derby, and that's about all my exposure. But I would imagine if you were to talk to a jockey on his horse, and he were to say, I want to make the best use of the time in this race, he would not be saying, well, I just want to kind of run hard and cover the most yards in, you know, the most fewest minutes as possible, and that's all I care about. No, what he would be doing is he would be in that race looking around him. He would be looking at what the other horses are doing. He would be looking at where are you when you come around the curve and into the the home stretch. He would be looking for that time, that moment when there was an opening to pass the horse in front of him. He's not just looking at seconds and minutes. He's looking at the opportunities, how to run the best race and to get around the horses to win. And that's something of what Paul's saying. He's saying, understand the time God has put you in and the place that God has put you and make the best use of it. Paul's really encouraging us to be like the men of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, who understood the times that they were living in and knew what Israel should do. Paul wants us to understand our times to look around us and to make the best use of it for his kingdom. Jim Boyce, who is the former pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, quotes an old English historian who once wrote that for the Christian, Christ is not just a philosophy or a guiding principle. Christ is the Lord of history and he is returning both to judge sin and to bring his people to be with him for all eternity. And so said this historian, the believer, for the believer, the specific time God has given us is ever like the point in the fairy tale 
where the clock is about to strike 12. And the question for each of us is given the significance of what is about to happen, what will I do now and the particular time and place that God has given me to be obedient to Him for His kingdom? You know, for each one of us, God has put us in a particular neighborhood, in a particular community, in a particular school, in a particular job, in a particular gym, in the year 2021. And the question is, what ought you and I to do where we are in the time God has put us in order to make the best use of this time for the sake of our Lord? Of course, it takes wisdom to know what to do, right? It takes wisdom to know what we ought to do in the particular time God has put us. And that's why Paul immediately adds, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I agree with Jim Boyce here. Again, when we talk about God's will, we can talk about his moral or his revealed will in Scripture, and we ought always to obey his will in Scripture at every time. But I agree with Jim Boyce that in this verse, Paul is concerned more to direct us to seek with wisdom to understand what God is doing in this time and this place and to understand how he would want us to act as his people in response where he's put us. And so how do we do that? Well, we look carefully, prayerfully, Listening to the Lord, trusting the Lord, guarding our hearts, seeking counsel, reflecting on what the Lord is up to in our day, that we might act as wise and not as unwise. And then Boyce adds this, he says, this wisdom will not be found in grand visions of what I can do for the Lord, but in careful reflection on the days that we live in and the perception of where God is at work. And then being faithful to jump on board and do what we can do faithfully to serve Him where He has put us and when He has put us. We have that calling individually. We also have that calling corporately as a church. And I will tell you that this is basically the question that our session has been praying about and asking when we talk about our building. What is happening in our day? Where has God put us in the day He has put us? And how can we be most faithful as his church here in Lancaster County and in the decades to come. And so individually and corporately, may we seek with regular prayer, counsel, and wisdom to understand what the will of the Lord is and to follow it here where God has put us for his glory. And so here's Paul's point in Ephesians chapter 5. You who have put your faith in Christ, who have been united to him, you have been recreated In the likeness of Jesus. Once you are darkness, but now you are light as He is light. So don't live in sin, but walk as children of the light. Walk as wise, not foolish, discerning how to please Him and how to use the time that He has given us for His glory. As we end, let let me just step back from this passage and maybe offer one big picture comment. As we conclude, you know, this passage calls us to please God. This passage calls us to walk as light and to shine as light among men. You know, light and darkness are opposites. 
Light and darkness are not like black and white that can be mixed together and you come up with a beautiful gray. Light and darkness don't mix. When we come to Scripture, light and darkness are two kingdoms that are at war with one another. And we are either in the one or in the other. And so living in the light will not only mean honoring God who is light, it will mean pleasing Him and walking in obedience, but it will also mean standing apart from the world, standing apart from the darkness, and not joining in with it. This past month, pastor and author Peter Lightheart wrote that the world is constantly at work to assimilate us. You know what it means for a country to assimilate people? It's to make them part of it. He said the world is constantly at work to try to assimilate us. It may be by persuasion, inviting us to join in its pleasures, to join in its goals that it has to offer. The world may also attempt to assimilate us by coercion, by force if we do not toe the line or sign on to the latest cultural demand. But we're really in the same situation, aren't we? That Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego found themselves in? Will they eat the food and learn the literature and bow to the statues in Babylon as Nebuchadnezzar sought to assimilate them fully into Babylonian culture? And as one commentator puts it, in Daniel chapter 3, that chapter of the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced the demand to be assimilated. Either they could unite their voice with the cultures voluntarily and say what it was saying, or else they would be melted into it by force in the fiery furnace. It's the same threat we often hear today. But what did the three friends need to be faithful to God in their day? Well, they needed to walk as wise, understanding what the will of the Lord was to make the best use of the time God had put them there. They needed to walk as light, not joining in works of darkness, but exposing them as they lived out the fruit of light and what was good and right and true. And isn't that what happened? Wasn't Nebuchadnezzar and his apparent power exposed by their refusal to do what he said? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't really do anything dramatic. They didn't go out and win this great victory for God. They simply refused to be assimilated. They couldn't see the future. They didn't know what the consequences would be. They didn't know what would happen to them. But they could discern what was pleasing to the Lord by holding up their actions to Scripture that God had given them. And that's what they did. Trusting Him from there, and God did all the rest. And as Lightheart concludes, when the powers around us say you will be assimilated, we must simply refuse and throw ourselves on the mercy of God. He is able and he may be willing to rescue us from the flames. If he does, his power shatters kings. And if he does not, then he merely welcomes us to join our Savior in walking the road of suffering for his sake. But either way, if we refuse to be assimilated and walk as children of the light, we will have been obedient to our God. We will have discerned what the will of the Lord is, and we will have shined as lights in the midst of this generation to His glory. And as we walk as wise, 
discerning what is pleasing to him, and making the best use of the time that he has given us. We will be the people he has created us to be. Or, as we put it earlier, we will have been true to who we are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, how we thank you for what you have done in Christ. There is nothing difficult or different or remarkable about any one of us. We are sinners, born in our sin who deserve your punishment and wrath. And yet, God, you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place, that the power of the cross might change us, might make us light as you are light. Oh, Father, strengthen us now. Enable us to walk as children of the light, to discern what is pleasing to you, to walk as wise. Now, God, you have put us here in Lancaster County and each of the individual places you have put us in this day and age. May we not bemoan that we live now or what is happening around us, but may we seek to walk as wise, making the best use of the time that you have given us for your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you. And may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.